souls, and the ones that really shape us as human beings always involve a significant journey and transformation. So that's only a four-minute clip. There's no words used at all, just images and sounds. But it demonstrates that even though all of our journeys are unique, there are common threads that show up across all of our different stories and journeys. That's why this clip is so powerful. That's why it's so affecting for so many people. The details of my story and your story and Carl and Ellie's story might be different, but the broad strokes fall into common themes, themes of falling in love, of trying to establish a career, purpose in life, loss, aging. Those are themes that touch all of our lives, and so these stories resonate with relevance to all of us. Today, we're going to be beginning a series called Understanding the Spiritual Journey, and It's a series that's designed to move through each decade of life and look at the unique challenges that those within that decade face. More than that, though, we're going to explore the wisdom that God and his word has for those moving through those decades. God does offer guidance and wisdom in broad, general general guidance, general wisdom, but then within Scripture— we also see very specific guidance for people navigating very specific stages of life, navigating certain realities like aging, loss, career, falling in love. This this series is built on the premise that while all of life is a journey, it's not a journey in the way that maybe we might think of There's a bunch of steps to be completed, or there's a bunch of levels in a video game that we have to get through, or simply just chapters in a book, that life is a spiritual journey. There's a deeper reality. There's a deeper story happening underneath all of our stories. God is drawing us and wooing us to himself in a really, really particular and individual way. There's a greater and more mysterious, and there's a divine purpose to all of our lives beyond just making it through this month, this year, this decade, this life. At the heart of everyone's life is a spiritual journey, an invitation from God to let all of our individual journeys find their true meaning and purpose within his story of redemption. So today, as we pray, I want to start this series with prayer. Um, praying that God would use it to help us understand our own journeys better, to help us understand each other's journeys better, and through that to deepen in our awareness and appreciation for God's love and grace in our lives and for God's love and grace in the lives of those around us. So let's take a moment to pray. God, there are many individual journeys represented here. There are many individual stories. And I pray, God, over these next eight weeks, that you would use this series in a small way to help each of us come to a greater understanding of how you're working in our lives. For those of us who are walking through places of challenge and difficulty, would you give us grace and wisdom? Would you pour your wisdom into us by your word and by your Holy Spirit so that we would know how we should walk? Um, Help us to maybe discover in a new way aspects of our journey and help us to become aware of where you're working, maybe, in places in our lives and in um, elements of our story 
But as we reflect back and as we anticipate forward, as we're mindful of the present, help us to become aware in new ways of how you are guiding and leading us, God. And for those maybe who are here this morning or who are listening via podcast who are not sure where they are in terms of thinking about God and faith stuff, I pray, God, that you would gently but firmly draw them to yourself, reveal yourself to them through this series, uh, reveal the intentions you have for them, which is to save them out of destruction and death and into life and hope, not just for this life, but for the life and the age to come. And we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, why are we doing this series? Uh, I have taught this series twice before, and I did so because people who moved through the series told me, you've got to teach this series every three to four years. You just have to do it. Even if we've heard it, we got to, this has to be a set series we do every four years. So this will be your f- first time through it. This is my third time through it. Um, probably, I should say, every series is different for people, but you know, I've talked about heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that's a real important paradigm in terms of how I, I understand discipleship. We'll talk about that in a second. But this series has probably helped me more pastorally in terms of understanding, appreciating, and, know, and understanding in a very practical way how to love people at different stages of life more than any other series I've ever taught through. And that's where I think uh, there's tremendous a clarity which is brought by this series. People who move through this series say, I have a greater level of self-awareness, and that's really making me excited in a new way about my relationship with God. And it's really helping me to grow in my love and appreciation for all of the people in my life, all the people in my church, all the demographics represented within my life. Our mission as a church is to love Jesus, love people, transform lives. And I think this series, God willing, will be one that we will look back on in a number of years and say, that was a turning point for me in my spiritual journey. That was a turning point in my ability to get a little bit more of a handle on what it means to love God, love people, and be a part of his mission to transform lives. So that's why we're doing this series. I want us to grow deeper into that mission and grow deeper into the love of God and be transformed by that love. Let's talk about Jesus' definition of spirituality. We call this series Understanding the Spiritual Journey. And in today's cultural climate, spiritual or spirituality can go in a number of different directions. And so what I'm doing for this series is I'm grounding my and our understanding of spirituality in Jesus' understanding of the spiritual journey. I believe because of who Jesus is that he isn't just one voice among many throwing their two cents into the pot of, yeah, this is how I kind of describe the spiritual journey, or this is what spirituality looks like to me. He is the voice. And so he's uniquely positioned, because of who he is, to give us clarity and bring truth to bear on these definitions so that instead of us having this very vague, open-ended, yeah, that sounds kind of interesting, what does Jesus have to say about this? What does the revealed will of God speak into as it relates to how we define the spiritual journey. If you're a Christian, Jesus should be the one who's defining what a healthy and vibrant spirituality looks like. He should be your defining center. 
and he does define that. And what I like about Jesus' definition of, of spirituality is it's a, it's a lot sharper than those offered by different new age uh, or spiritual gurus in our culture. When I hear people define and discuss the spiritual journey or spirituality, you know, for most people, it's completely unbounded. Again, our culture values freedom. Freedom means complete autonomy. Autonomy means I get to decide what is right and wrong for me and how I choose to live my life. And so a lot of definitions of spirituality essentially end up with whatever seems right in your own eyes, whatever kind of works for you, and whatever has some kind of subjective resonance of like, yeah, that's kind of neat. I like that. And what I appreciate about Jesus is he doesn't start with us at the center of spirituality. He starts in a very, very different place. Matthew 12, one of the teachers of the law came to him, Jesus, heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? That, that's an important Jewish question. Two, 613 commandments given in God's law. They're all things that God's people are to value, but like we said last week, they don't all have the same level of priority. Which, is the, which has the utmost priority? Which is the most glorious? Which is the most significant? Which commandment bears the most weight? What's the foundation for a God-honoring spirituality that leads me into the life that God intends for all his creatures? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. For Jesus, spirituality and the spiritual journey is defined by this concept called discipleship. And discipleship, we read about in Scripture, it means to be a, a learner or a student of someone. Meaning, there's someone outside of yourself who's defining how to live, what your goal should be, what you should be prioritizing, what values you need to drop, what values you need to pick up, what values you need to amend. It's not about looking within yourself. It's looking to another mentor leader. And ultimately, as a Christian, what you're saying is, I'm a disciple of Jesus. He's the one who I am following because I believe he has the best information possible on the most important subjects as it relates to moving in the direction of life and flourishing and thriving and hope and love and joy and all those things that as human beings we're, we're, we're grasping for, but it often slips through our hands. For Jesus, spirituality is discipleship. This is why I consistently put before you my discipleship model of loving God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and encourage you to set little goals in those areas of your life, heart, relationships, uh, soul, prayer life, interiority, learning about yourself and kind of intimate relationship with God, mind, growing in your understanding of the Bible and a Christian worldview, and strength, actively serving. I know I didn't share my heart, soul, mind, strength, and goals last week, so I will pause to do that now. I like to do this at the start of every month as a way to say, I'm challenging myself to grow this way. Not just to grow in the ways that are easy for me, which is all the mind stuff and learning about my faith, but I need to learn to exercise my faith. I need to learn to exercise my prayer muscles. I need to learn to grow in my capacity to love my neighbor as myself. And so I set goals in each of those areas to remind myself that this isn't about what works for Jeff and what's easy for me and what has subjective resonance. It's about Jesus. 
how are you calling me to live? And how can I put some, um, how can I lay some track ahead of that this month? So heart, I have scheduled, and I'm in the process of scheduling kind of like a one-on-one date time with each separate member of my family to see how they're doing, spend time with them in a way that is fun and just seeing how I can be praying for them. For both soul and mind, I'm combining those this month and really trying to get into the habit of starting my day with um, prayer and scripture reflection and study and memorization. That's something I usually do at some point during the day, but if I'm not on track, I can maybe actually get into some personal time with God maybe midday or even at the end of the day. And I'm really trying to... um, I thought about last week a lot about how, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. And for me, what that looks like is making sure that I'm scheduling time in the first part of my day. I'm giving God the first fruits of my day to pray, to dig into his word, and to make sure that that's a habit. Not just something I value, so it kind of happens at some point during the day, but it's something I'm prioritizing, and it's happening at the start of my day, and it's setting the trajectory for my day. And my wife has been really good at that lately, and I'm trying to learn from her and with her how to do that. And then strength... Uh, I'm just kind of every day looking for opportunities to practically serve my neighbors. God has blessed me abundantly with opportunities to shovel driveways. And so I've been doing that. Um, But there's also lots of other things that have cropped up, little birthday things that I, you know, cards and things that I can give to people. And and I'm just trying to be more aware when, when neighbors or people that I know are saying something to say, what can I do to help? Or maybe even instead of asking that, because most people will say, I'm fine, just kind of taking it upon myself to do something to help them. But it's really important for me to always be looking for those tiny little ways to bless my neighbors in practical ways because that's something that would just go off the radar for me if I didn't put it in front of me every day. So Jesus says spirituality looks like, and you don't have to use that discipleship model, but if we're following Jesus, we should have some intentionality and purpose, some plan in place where we're saying, this is how I intend to grow for this season or for this quarter or for this year or for this month or for this week. The other thing I want to highlight about Jesus' understanding of spirituality and the spiritual journey is that the spiritual journey has a purpose. And its purpose, again, isn't centered on us and our experience. In Isaiah 43, God says this, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. God created us for his glory. And to glorify God means to give him weight and significance. The Old Testament Hebrew word for glory is kavod. It's the same word that means weight, like when you're holding something heavy. Wow, this thing has a lot of glory. It has a lot of substance and density and significance. And God says, I have created you for my glory. And that's interesting to note, because if your definition of spirituality is, I'm living, in order, vaguely speaking, to bring glory to myself or to understand how uh, make everything kind of turn in on me and my subjective experience, one of the things that you should expect to happen is life and those things that you're looking for, love, joy, peace, hope, um, sense of purpose, those will slip through your fingers because you're living in an anti-creation way. You're living against the grain of how God has created the cosmos. And as we learn to recognize that my life finds its coherence, it holds together, and it finds ever-increasing depths of meaning and purpose as I learn what it means to bring glory to God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. That is an exciting journey. And that's part of the presumption that Jesus has for his disciples. 
Discipleship to Jesus isn't about you're going to work out what's going to work for you. It's about how do you learn to step into God's story, to understand that God is, the glorification of God is the goal of all things, and that Jesus is our teacher and example of how we move into that reality. So, another little preamble point. Loving God and loving others as ourselves, that takes a very different shape within each decade of life because each decade of life demands different things from us. This is why we're calling this series a spiritual journey. We're looking at different decades of life because Jesus' command, I don't know if you've ever recognized this or even realized the significance of how vague that command is. What's the most important thing you can do with your life? Wouldn't you want to give a super precise answer so that there was just no wiggle room? The most important thing in life is you are honoring the Sabbath and you're at synagogue or you're at church at 10 o'clock every Sunday. There it is, bam, it's so precise, it's so obvious. Do that, that is the most important thing. Jesus offers something that on one level is tremendously demanding, but very vague. Love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's kind of like every part, fiber of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, okay, that's a huge calling. What does that look like? And then Jesus kind of says, okay, come follow me. That's the big vision. And now there's, you're going to, as you follow me, as you participate with me, as you learn about yourself, you're going to learn that that looks different when you're seven as opposed to 17, as opposed to 70. There are common threads, but the demands of what it's going to mean for you to put God first, to, to bring God glory in those different stages of life are very unique. And we need to be aware of those ourselves so that loving God and loving our neighbor doesn't become this kind of abstraction. Yeah, I kind of agree with that, but I have no idea how this connects to my life. What we want to look at every week is, okay, teenagers, this is how this connects to your life. Okay, those of you who are in your 30s, this is how this connects to your life. Okay, those of you who are in your 80s, this is how this connects to your life. And these might be the unique demands of loving God and loving neighbor that are only going to present themselves or are going to present themselves in an especially challenging or interesting or amazing way when you're in your 20s or when you're in your 50s. I'm going to give you a little preview of where we're going every week. Um, I got this from Paula Darcy. Paula Darcy is a Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic author, and I heard her speak once about a, an 80-year-old woman who had gone back to university, I think at the age of 70, and gotten a degree, and she was invited to give the commencement speech, and she was going up to give the commencement speech in all of her notes. She had them on little file cards and all the notes. She just dropped them, and they kind of half dropped off the stage, and that was that. And everyone had that moment of like, <gasps> it was frail, 80-year-old woman, and she just got up there, and uh, without much preamble, she said, well, I had a lot prepared, but uh, I want to tell you where you're headed in your life. And this little, uh, and again, I don't mean this to oversimplify the spiritual journey because you're going to find out there's nothing simple about our spiritual journeys. But this is a good overview of the decades that has really stuck with me and, and helped me understand my own journey and anticipate what lies ahead of me. She said, she started in the teens. She said, the teens are about saving yourself. It's about keeping your head above water. In some cases, it's about keeping your head down, just fitting in, playing the game, trying to, 
get through the storms of life, a huge amount of change in a very, very short period of time, physically, psychologically, relationally, emotionally. In your 20s, it's about saving the world. Raise a glass, here's to life, adventure, expedition, making your mark, new beginnings, new autonomy, new authority. In the 30s, it's about saving coupons. You are in the nitty-gritty, mundane stuff of life. For many people, you are negotiating the demands of a young family. A lot of life's romanticism has faded. And you are now learning what it means to walk in a routine that in a lot of ways feels disconnected from what you envisioned in your mind's eye. You're trying to figure things out. You're just trying to get through. In your 40s, it's about saving relationships. In your 40s, depending on how you've attended to relationships like marriage, children, um, friendships, other family relationships, this is a time where cracks in those relationships begin to um, reveal themselves. And this is a time where it's really important for us to begin looking at our relationships and saying, what needs to be reinvested in? We've been running on fumes for a long time. We have to kind of double down and reinvest in some of these key relationships. Your 50s is about saving yourself. What she meant by that was reclaiming priorities and pieces of yourself that likely got neglected because of fulfilling responsibilities earlier in your life. Coming to a renewed awareness of who you are, and certainly if we're walking with God, who we are now as we enter a very new stage, uh, somewhere close to or moving into an empty nest stage, and with our relationship with God and with these new margins ahead of us, what are we going to give our lives to? But before we get to that question, we have to say, who, who am I again? Who am I? Reclaiming ourselves, reclaiming our priorities, pieces of ourselves that we've neglected. And then in the 60s and beyond, and <clears throat> we only have one week dedicated to the 60s and beyond. And it's not because I'm trying to shortchange those in the 70s, 80s, 90s, or even uh, octogenarians. Uh, what I'm trying to do is once you see, once we get there, how there's an interesting dynamic that happens in the 60s and beyond. But generally, in the 60s and beyond, this elderly woman said, it's about saving the world, but this time you're doing it with wisdom and experience. It's not the same impulsive, well-intended but immature drive to save the world that you had in your 20s. You, if you're doing the journey well, now understand in a deeper and richer way who you are, how God has gifted you. You see the weight of God's experiences in your life coming together, and now we seek, how do I leverage that for God's glory and the greater good? And you're in a unique position to do that very, very well if you've been tracking on this journey well all the way through. This idea that each, that everyone's life has these different stages where different priorities come into focus. It shouldn't really be surprising to us, especially for those of us who've been reading scripture or are familiar with scripture's general narrative, because we see this happen through 
the lives of many biblical characters, but supremely in Israel's journey as the people of God. You can break Israel's journey up into uh, these decade-like experiences. You have this enslaved people who are miserable and lost and directionless, and God saves them. He brings them out of Egypt through an exodus, through these mighty acts of power. He wants to form them into a nation, so he gives them his law. He says, Israel, I'm trying to teach you how to walk with heads held high. You know, you see yourself, your identity is, we're slaves. That's not who you are. I'm reclaiming you as my son. You have the wilderness wanderings, which is a time of discipline. You have the establishing of Israel in the land, which is learning to obey God and to trust him. You have judges, the cycles of sin, and learning to move into and out of this repetitive sin cycle. And then um, ultimately coming to the place where they realize we need God to intervene. You have the time of kings where there's power and privilege and Israel gets established and they become a world power. And then there's exile because God judges them because of their idolatry and injustice. And then God returns them to the land uh, post-exile. So you have all these things, but what's important to recognize is that what Israel is specifically called to do and the shape of their journey is very much dependent on the stage that they're in, Right? Prophets don't even show up in the biblical story until Israel gets power, right? No prophet comes along of any standing. Like, the prophets get poured out onto Israel once Israel basically gets rich and powerful. Because the prophets are there to say, now that you're rich and powerful, you need to go on a whole new journey of what it means to love God and love your neighbor. Because you will be tempted to leverage that power and that wealth for yourself. So the prophets are constantly there needling God's people and holding up God's truth to say, you are supposed to be a conduit of blessing, not a black hole where you're just sucking all the blessing in for yourself. So through this series, I hope to give us all some common language so that we can help become aware of what's happening at our particular stage of life and also to help um, use that so that we move into a deeper and closer relationship with Jesus. Because, again, the point of this series is not for us to become, to kind of define our best life now. This series is about saying, here we are in the journey. This helps you to make sense. Now, how do I turn to Jesus? How do I follow Jesus more faithfully from where I am? Because as Colossians 2.3 says, it's in Jesus that are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God and his word has everything that we need for life and godliness. And so the point of this series is to help you identify where you are and then move into this stage with greater hope and with greater health, but to do it, in a sense, walking with Jesus. It's only in him, I really believe it, that our journeys can find their purpose. Um, Here are a few other themes. We want to highlight the fact that we need each other if we're going to be an authentic Christian community. This is a really important series. Everyone gets excited about the week that's their week. Oh, that's, I can't miss that one. Mark the calendar. There, I'm going to be at church on that Sunday. I'm definitely going to listen to the podcast. Um, that's totally great. And that's part of the, the neat thing about this series. There is a week that is just for you, unapologetically. But there's also seven weeks that aren't really for you. And you have a choice to make. You can say, yeah, those are optional. Because you might have the attitude that Paul tries to confront in 1 Corinthians saying, you know, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. I I want to learn about myself, but I don't need to learn about what's going on with kids. I'm past that. Or people who are 70, whatever. That's like super old and whatever. That's, I'm, 
that's not even on my radar. But if we believe that we're the body of Christ, that this community here, God has in a mysterious and important and powerful way put us as a collection of embodied people together right here, right now, Nelson Covenant Church, then God has designed for us to be in a relationship with each other. Does that mean everyone's going to be each other's best friends? No. Does it mean that we're all going to know each other's life totally intimately? No. But it does mean that we want to better understand what everybody in this church is walking through so that we can better support them, pray for them, encourage them, build them up, bear burdens where we're given opportunities to. And so I really challenge and encourage you to not just show up both physically and mentally for your week. Show up for all the weeks. And think about the people in your life. Think about the people in this church who you maybe have just kind of had a caricaturized version of old people, young people, teens, millennials, whatever it is, and then go into that week saying, God, what do you have to teach me about how I can better support and care and love my neighbors in this church who are walking through these challenges that we're going to highlight? A lot of church issues arise out of misunderstandings and about not realizing that we're in different stages of life, different decades, and there are different concerns that are at the forefront for, for us. And just like heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you're a mind type, you might be tempted to think, well, the church would just be way better if everyone was just like me and was a mind type. The kind of the demographic thing slips in the same way, right? If you're a teenager, oh, this church would be way better if it was basically just teens. If it was just a big youth group, that'd be awesome. And if you're in a young family, you're like, oh, this would be so awesome if it was just all young families and we all understood each other and what we're going through and we just got it and clicked, great. Oh, if we could all just be retirees, empty nesters, and this... A particular kind of economic strata, that would be awesome. We'd have so much in common. There'd be so much momentum. But that's never the way God builds community. Starting with Israel, all the way through to the church, to us now, God is always pulling together a motley crew of weird, awkward... It's like a jigsaw puzzle that kind of doesn't really fit together. It only fits together in Jesus, but naturally doesn't. It wouldn't ever fit together. There'd always be these pieces that you're like, this does not fit. This is awkward. This would be better for this piece to be over here. And yet God says, no, I'm building a body here. I'm doing something special here. And that's why we want to highlight that the church is called to be a family. A family is a, is a small version of that kind of awkward. We have some things in common, but there's a lot of differences too, and there's a lot of friction. We have to learn to love each other and to get along and to be a part of a larger mission than just seeking out what's good for each of us as individuals. Ephesians 2.19, Paul writes, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners or aliens. He, he's speaking to people who have now become Christians. He says, you're no longer outsiders. You're not aliens. That's not your identity anymore. You're fellow citizens with God's people. Now you're part of Israel. You're part of the true people of God. And you're members of God's household. You're part of the family now. You get to come to the table. It is kind of a dysfunctional family because it's a family of sinners. But... It's a family of sinners who, hopefully, are doing their part individually to take little steps towards Jesus. And it's saying, Jesus, would you continue to reform my heart through your word and by your spirit? And so it's a family where redemption can happen and where restoration can happen and where there can be a new kind of experience of love and hope and joy and purpose. Each decade is represented within this church. Each decade is valued within this church. And I hope that this series highlights that. That if you've ever felt like, well, the church, or hopefully not this church, but maybe this church, or the church, or in my Christian experience, people like this, or people on this stage tend to kind of get 
pushed off to the side or dismissed or minimized in their significance of God's kingdom, that this would be a series that we would recognize from uh, birth to death. This is a place where all of us need to learn to grow and thrive and where we're valued. So here are three specific challenges that I want you to consider doing for the course of the series. Eight weeks, three, three practical challenges. Number one, invite other people to the table. If there's someone, these cards are out in the lobby there, uh, if there's someone that you know that might be interested in coming to a specific week, invite them. The worst they could say is, oh, no thanks. Just invite them. Um, none of these weeks are going to be browbeating people over the head with the scripture, but we are going to be bringing uh, hopefully a lot of wisdom and help to bear. In, if, if that feels like too big of a thing for you, you can always say, hey, I just heard a message on teens from at our church. Here's the website link. You should check it out at some point. I think from our conversations, this might be something that might be helpful to you. Pass this information along to people. When I say invite other people to the table, I'm also saying this is a big challenge. At some point during the series, even just once over eight weeks, would you intentionally invite someone outside of your demographic spectrum to, to coffee, lunch, or dinner? And just kind of say, hey, tell me your story. Tell me where you're at, and, and, and maybe if it's you know, three or four or five weeks into the series, tell me what you thought about the series and what's resonated with you, what's challenged you, whatever. Um, you know, take that step and say, this could, this could just go real south. This could go south bad. Like, this could be super awkward, but I'm going to invite a teenager out to coffee. I'm going to invite a young family over and just get to know them a little bit. When we break bread together and we listen to each other, um, beautiful things happen. But if you're like me, you do tend to just kind of localize to the, the peer level because there's just a lot more common ground. And that's not wrong to do. But the church, we should be doing a little bit more. One of the things we're going to do to help is in February, this is in addition to that challenge, uh, Rita and Kim are going to be hosting another, are going to be organizing another guest who's coming to dinner, where we're going to have sign-ups. People get randomly assigned to different homes, and we're going to try and get different demographics and different decades in different homes. We'll have some questions for you about the series, so that'll be coming up. Watch for that. So invite other people to the table. Number two, pray for each decade. Every week, would you make it your prayer to pray for people within our church, people that are known to you within that decade. So when we start childhood next week, to be praying for kids every day throughout that week, along some of the themes that maybe we talk about on a Sunday, or just issues that are known to you uh, within this community, within your family, whatever it is. But to be praying for the teens, and the 20s, and the 30s, and going all the way through, and making that a daily prayer priority. And lastly, uh, I want to really encourage you to consider signing up for just the duration of this series, so just for eight weeks, for, to one of our small groups. We have four small groups, and there's a table at the back that highlights when they meet. And those groups have all said, we will pause our normal small group functions, and we're going to track with this series for eight weeks. And they're also doing that so that if there are people who are kind of like, I'm not really involved in a small group, but I don't really know how to get involved or when, is, is it going to be awkward? Uh, I don't really, there's no on-ramp. This is your on-ramp. Starting this Wednesday, this Thursday, this Friday, there are groups that are meeting that are going to be reviewing the sermon and beginning to talk together. And it's only eight weeks. So this isn't a huge commitment on your part. You don't have to say, well, I don't know if this is going to work in the spring or in the summer. Don't worry about that. What I'm asking you to consider is signing up for eight weeks 
and to go on this journey with other people in this community, take that risk and begin to build those relationships. So invite other people to the table. Pray for each decade and consider signing up for a small group. Let's do this series well. Let's be open and humble to say, God, teach us and form us through this series. I really, really am excited about it, and I think it has the capacity to just revolutionize our church, both from an individual level, but also as a community of faith. Let's pray. God, you are the center of our spiritual journey, and you're the telos, you're the goal of our spiritual journey. And I pray for everybody here. I pray that over 